Well, good morning, church. Great to see you today. Welcome to Victory Life Church. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege uh, to greet you this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. If this is one of your first times joining us, for those of you online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? There will be a form that pops up on the screen. If you could fill that out, that will come straight to me, and I'll connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you. Uh, for those of you joining us in person, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, we'd love to meet you and help guide you on your faith journey. You can communicate with us right now by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. Fill that out, and afterwards, if you'd be so kind to drop by our Welcome Center, we have a free gift for you, and we'll take that communication card and communicate with you sometime this week, but also to you. Thank you for joining us this morning as well. I have a few announcements that I'd like to share with you today, the first of which is that we're going to have a Super Bowl party tonight for our youth group, and it's going to be from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. There's going to be a taco and a nacho bar for dinner, and for those of you who do not like, who do not like to watch football, or perhaps who do not know that there is a football game on tonight, uh, you can come and hang out and have a great time. We're going to have lots of games and video games and card games and things like that. And uh, also for our youth, may I just say it's a great opportunity for you to invite your friends from the highways and byways to come and just hang out and have a great time. Uh, we're going to have lots of food, as I mentioned, lots of fellowship, lots of fun. And most importantly, there will be a gospel presentation at halftime. And, you know, God can use events like the Super Bowl to plant a seed about his love and how he wants to reach people that are far from him. And so invite a friend tonight it's going to be very cool, and might I say, go Niners. Go Niners. Thank you. Thank you. That's the most ovation I've gotten all year long, so thank you very much. Um, next but not least, um, I want to make mention or remind you, rather, of our church annual meeting. It's happening in a couple of weeks. Um, this is a meeting where you can hear from our leadership on how we steward our resources to advance the kingdom of God in this community and in the world. You'll hear from our board, our board chair of our trustees, our finance director, and Pastor Matt about how we use our resources to point people to Jesus. And so that'll be uh, Monday, February 26th at 7 p.m. We would love to have you join us. Last, I want to make mention of something to remind you about. We're going to be having our next Pursue Night on March 8th. That's a Friday night at 6.30 p.m. As you likely know, Pursue Night is a worship night where we gather to worship our Lord Jesus, and just ask him to speak to us uh, when we gather together in this place. Uh, we will have uh, food and fellowship afterwards. But one thing that we wanted to encourage you to begin praying about is um, on March 8th, we want to encourage you as an act of worship to bring something to give, um, something that has worth to you, something that has value to you, because that really defines what worship is. To worship something means to ascribe worth to something. And so we'd like to encourage you to think about something that has a lot of value to you. Certainly could be um, an offering that you give on that night. It could be something uh, something other uh, than, than, than money, perhaps, something that's valuable to you. But begin thinking about that. Talk to your family about it and begin uh, praying about what God might have you give on Friday night, March 8th. And so... Uh, we're really excited about March 8th, and so we, we're giving you like, what, three weeks ahead of time, maybe a month ahead of time to begin thinking and praying about this as a family. We hope to see you there on Friday, March 8th at 6.30 p.m. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements to share with you. Speaking of giving uh, as worship, if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know how you can do that. You can give online, you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, in that way. I can ask you to stand this morning, and as you do, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, my heart is prompted this morning towards the psalmist who said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. May you call upon us and all that is within us as we lift you up and bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We can put our hands together this morning.
this morning's about giving worship and praise and exaltation to the Lord. And I want to read you a psalm this morning, and I'd like you to be able to see it with me. It's Psalm 100. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing, and know that he is the Lord, and he is God. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and let us enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless him for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That is a God worth praising this morning. Today is about exaltation. And you say, well, what about ourselves? I came in need this morning. So did I. I came in need of something from the Lord this morning. But first, I want to humble myself in praise and worship to him because the Bible says, you do not delight in burnt offerings. O Lord, a humble and contrite heart you will not despise. Those are the sacrifices of the Lord, a humble and repentant heart. So let's go ahead and continue to worship and exalt him this morning.
praise you in this place. We bless you today. It's you who we worship. It's you who are worthy. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. your breath in our love. 
Oh, Creator God, you are worthy of our praise today. You who formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into us, you are worthy. If that was all that you had done, if all that you had done was to give us the gift of life, you would be worthy. You would be worthy of our praise and adoration, our entire selves. Noah did not have Christ. Abraham did not know Christ. Yet they built altars unto the living God and said, Great are you, Lord, creator of heaven and earth, and the one who has breathed life into humanity, the crown jewel of your creation. O Lord, we stand in a better place today, for we know Christ. We know the one who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, which is breathing life into us today, new life, redeemed life, sinless life, righteous life, eternal life. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are worthy today of all of our praise and adoration for breathing new life into the lungs of your creation and giving us new birth into a living hope. Oh, God, we praise you. We honor you today. Let the realities of who you are sweep over us until such time as we are completely transformed by the Spirit of God. We ask these things. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and matchless name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. We're so glad you're worshiping with us. I'm Pastor Matt. It's my great pleasure to get to share the word with you today. But before we do, I'd like to dismiss our young disciples to head on down the hall for our children's church program. If you're new to our community this morning, they're heading down to our South Sanctuary. Your children, if they're uh, grades K through 6, are welcome to join in. For those of you who remain, I'm going to ask you if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning. That's where we're going to be as we uh, wrap up this mini-series on stewardship that we've been in, just to place us within context of what we've been doing, we've been taking three weeks in 15 different hallmarks of a fully-formed disciple, and this is our third week in the concept that a fully-formed disciple is a steward of all of God's resources. I got a little bit of a, a window into stewardship last year, but not because I wanted to have that window you see, I, I mentioned to you uh, a little bit, uh, a little while ago that I had coached a, a middle school softball team, and that was a little bit beyond my depth in and of itself, but it became apparent within a couple of weeks that if I wasn't the lead manager of the team, that I was going to have to be the one to hold the cash box. And that made me really upset. Because I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want to take the cash box. I didn't want to have to write receipts. I didn't want to have to keep a log. I didn't want to have to pay the umpire. I didn't want to have to go get more balls. I didn't want to have to go do any of this stuff. I wanted to stand on third base and decide whether the person on first base was going to steal or not. That's all I wanted to do. I was there for me. And, but, but I had to do what I had to do. So within a couple of weeks, here's all these people shoving money in my face, and I'm writing receipts. Here's some more people who need to be paid, and I'm paying them out. And I begin to get, catch, a, catch a rhythm, and it ain't so bad. Well, then I'm like looking at the log, and I'm looking at what we brought in, and I'm looking at the possibilities of what we might do moving forward. And then I, I, I got to get a little bit creative. I got to think to myself, we got a little money left over. And that catcher mitt that we have for the team, that's, that's not very nice. You know what? I would love to get a really nice catcher. Because some of these, some of these girls, they, they throw harder underhand than I throw overhand. And, and we could use a really nice glove, so we could do that. And then I, then I start to think, well, if we had a little bit more money left over and then, then, then took it a little bit more next year, we could get some really nice jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, because the jerseys we got this year, they were, they were passable, but they were great. We could start to get some really nice jerseys. And, and then if we could do that, and all of a sudden I begin to dream about how I'd steward this money if I were still in control of it moving forward. So what started as drudgery turned into something that was actually kind of fun. 
Now, honestly, I'm not going to look forward to it as people shove money my way again this season. I'm not going to look forward to it. I've got to keep the log and write the receipts. But as you begin to see yourself as somebody who has the opportunity to grow the brand, if you will, it becomes really fun. It becomes really fun. We've been talking about stewardship, and this, this concept of stewardship in Christianity is, is really simple. What I have and what I take in ultimately is just something that passes through my hands for the will of God. Just passes through that cash box, if you will, for the will of God. And in the past couple of weeks, we've learned that, that security on earth is not what we should be focused on. We heard that parable of that shrewd servant, and the idea in that parable was, was very simple that we should be using our worldly wealth, that people one day would welcome us into eternal homes. That our, 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 our wealth, that which passes through our hands as stewards of the living God, should be funneled into places where we'll see people for eternity. Last week we learned that giving is a form of worship and it's, it's what God has for us to, to worship him and also to partner with him in his plan within the community of faith. But this year I want to get right on the, this week I want to get right on the nose. When we talk about stewardship, we're talking about Christianese, aren't we? Uh, Except for Lord of the Rings, you've never heard the concept of steward, you know? So the steward of Gondor, anybody, any nerds in the house? So let's talk about the Christianese for just a moment today. Let's talk about what we really mean. And what I want to do is I want to give you three mandates of a steward. Because believe it or not, each one of us is a holder of a cash box, Each one of us, when we come to know Christ, is just stewarding the resources of the team and asking God where it needs to go. So let's make sure we we really leave this little mini-series with a full understanding of what stewards do. What are the three mandates of a steward? So if you're in chapter 12 of Luke, we're going to see one more teaching of Jesus on this concept, and I hope it gets down into our spirits. It says this in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and and I'll store my grain and goods there. And then I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, this is, a, this is a pretty kind of funny little interjection by Jesus here. In fact, do you sense his annoyance at this man? Man, who made me judge and arbiter over you? And then a moment later, he, he goes ahead and, and, and sidebars and calls the man covetous. Right, so, so he, he's not a real fan of the guy that said, ah, Jesus, excuse me, tell my brother to share. But this is what this guy does. Jesus, excuse me, you, great teacher of the law, tell my brother he needs to share with me. But instead of just being annoyed at this gentleman and telling him, get out of here, we got other fish to fry, Jesus goes ahead and he teaches something in the midst of chapter 12 that fits in with his preaching overall. Many of you would recognize elements of chapter 12 in Matthew chapter 6, completely different setting where Jesus is preaching one of his favorite sermons. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 is in no joking mood. In fact, Matthew chapter 12 has some of the hardest, and if I may be so bold, harshest teachings of Christ in the New Testament. In fact, if you were to go this afternoon and you would read Matthew chapter 12, there would be some cringeworthy moments supplied by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's already said to his disciples in a sidebar, by the time we get to this question of this man, hey guys, you have to be on your guard against that which drives the Pharisees. You see, you find out in verse 1 of chapter 12 that huge crowds have come to listen to Jesus. 
And it looks, in, by every human standard, like Jesus is acquiring success. And Jesus says, listen, don't, don't, don't buy into this. Don't buy into these huge crowds. Ultimately, the test is going to be, when these people turn against you, are you going to continue to serve me and preach my gospel? When you're in fear for your life, are you going to fear them? Or are you going to fear the one who decides who goes to heaven and hell? This is what Jesus is talking about right before this man comes with this question. In addition, he says some of those immortal words, if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So this entire chapter, both before and after, Jesus is trying to get his disciples and anybody with an earshot into an eternal mindset. So when this man comes with what seemingly is an obnoxious question, tell my brother to share. Jesus takes this opportunity to once again point us towards an eternal mindset. Point us towards an end-of-life scenario and get us thinking about what is really, really important. Now, it's not going to be any shock to any of you that Jesus is going to say, be on your guard against all forms of covetousness. But really, this is not covetousness in what you may expect. You might think that this younger brother is looking at his older brother and saying, I want his stuff. Because that's kind of the way this word covetousness works in other places in the Bible. But this particular word in the Greek means the desire to acquire more. Not the desire to acquire someone else's stuff, like the covetousness of the Ten Commandments, where you want your neighbor's land, his life, or his wife. Not that type of covetousness. This is the type of covetousness that is irrespective of what other people have. This is just wanting more for you. And the story plays that out. So Jesus gets on this topic that we talked about months ago when we did the second half of this passage, where he's talking about the people not being worried about where their food is coming from or where their clothes are coming from. And we did that from Matthew chapter 6. But he starts with this parable of the rich fool to look at people and say this. Take care. That's what he says. Take care. That's literally keep your eye on. Anybody seen the star? Anybody seen that, that great animated movie at Christmas time? This is Jesus saying to, to his disciples, look with your eyes. Look. Keep your eye on all types of covetousness with the intent of fighting it. Stand guard against it. This is militaristic language that Jesus is using. Keep a lookout for and then be ready to fight like heaven against all forms of the desire to get more for yourself. So Jesus is giving us one of the key understandings of, of faith, one of the key ideas that Christians have to just have in their minds that stewards must fight against the God of gain. We have to fight against this mindset, and Jesus is telling us it's one of the fights of our life. Not a tangential fight to Christianity, not a sidebar fight, one of the fights for life that is truly life. One of the fights for life that is truly life is this fight against the God of gain. Jesus says it 96 different ways in the scripture. We talked about how often he speaks towards money and wealth and what they can do for you. And Jesus right here is bringing these disciples in the midst of saying you're going to have to fight to keep an eternal mindset and think about souls when things get hard. You're going to be in the fight of your life, disciples, when people come against you when you're sharing the gospel. And you're going to be in the fight of your life when it's going to be easy for you to fall back into a lifestyle that looks for gain to be your security and looks for gain to be your provision. When we think about the word covetous, it's easy to say, well, that's not me. But the parable is going to teach us that it very well might be us because the parable teaches us exactly what covetous leads to. What can gain secure for you? Look at verse 19 with me for just a moment of this particular passage. The man has provision made for him. He has a bountiful, bountiful crop. And instead of saying to himself, what will I do with this? Why has God blessed me this way? How would God allow me to steward these resources? What does he do instead? First, he looks to the security that these goods can 
provide for him. He decides to, instead of divesting himself of this bumper crop, he says to himself, no, soul, and I love Jesus' use of soul here, he uses this word of, uh, uh, that denotes the inner man, the inner person. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You are secure. See, this is what we allow. This is the, this is the covetousness that we don't fault anybody for within American Christianity. A covetousness that says, my goal in getting more is to gain security. And I cannot think of something Jesus preached against more, taught against more, was, was not happy with more. Think, for instance, for just a moment about how he sent out his disciples to do his work. What were they allowed to bring with them? Yeah, somebody had it. I don't know who it was. Good job. Nothing. I mean, clothes on their back and one staff. One staff was for walking, the other staff was for fighting in the ancient world. So don't bring an extra staff. You're going to have to allow me to protect you. Don't bring any extra bread. You've got to allow me to feed you. Don't bring, it, bring any extra money. You've got to allow me to provide for your needs. Even though you'll be walking and walking and walking and walking and walking, don't bring any extra sandals. You're going to have to trust me for your footwear. I say that every time I go into the store looking for shoes. God, I trust you for my foot. No, I never, I never have. Right? I'm not that spiritual. Right? You're going to have to trust me for all of this, right? Now, he doesn't say that they have to do that forever. In fact, towards the end of Luke, he says, now's the time, if you got some money, maybe, maybe buy a sword. And, and you, you should pack some extra bread, and you should make provision for yourself. Meaning, if you've learned the lesson that I am your security, now you can make plans for the future so long as you're making them for my kingdom. So it's, it's not a forever mandate. So, you know, I used to have this gal and she was in my young adult group and she'd say, my big goal in life is to live in the ditch for Jesus. And I was like, well, if that's what you want to do, God bless you, but that's not a scriptural mandate. You don't have to just live in the ditch. You, 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 don't, you don't have to have no sandals and no extra bag and no extra tunic. But, but Jesus was trying to get his disciples to a point where they could trust him with all that they were. If we go back to the Old Testament, we know that that's true as well. For those of you who were here last week, and you were figuring the numbers in your head, the percentage of their annual gain that the Israelites were giving back to God is staggering. When you, when you consider all of the offerings and all of the tithes and all of the sacrifices that were made, and, and I told you last week I couldn't do math, but I was just being self-deprecating, it's got to be well over 30% every year of their gain they're giving back to God. Why? Because God was greedy? No. He was teaching them. Read Deuteronomy year after year. You have not acquired this wealth for yourself. I've acquired it for you. I am your provider. I am the one who gives you the ability to, to have wealth. So throughout the scriptures, and I've got 86 more, but I'm not going to do that to you this week. I preached a 37-minute sermon last week. It's going to be shorter this week, I promise. But there is, there is example after example after example where either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God is trying to teach his people, you cannot have the God that is gain. Because if you have the God that is gain and not the God that is me, you will look for that gain for that little extra to become your security. And that's what you got to fight against. That's what you got to look with your eyes toward. And that's what you got to fight against with all of your might. If I just have a little more, then I'll be secure. We excuse ourselves as American Christians with this, do we not? We excuse ourselves. Because we're all after security. Soul, I have goods laid up for years. Now I'm good. All will be well. But that's not all that this man says. This man says one more thing in verse 19 that speaks to the heart of our version of Christianity as well. What's the second thing he says? Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. All the things we're going to do come 6.30 this evening. Relax, eat, drink, and have your first Mountain Dew of this calendar year because your wife is finally allowing you to have pop in the house. <laughs> yes. 
True story, once a year, we're allowed to have a bottle of pop. That's it. My wife rules with an iron fist. Anyhow, and she's right there. First service today. Yeah, but we're, we're not talking about all pleasure. And you know that, and I know that. Second Timothy tells us that God's given us all things for our enjoyment. So we're not talking about pleasure here. We're talking about the mindset. The mindset, if I, if I can just get a little more, I'll be living the good life. I can relax, I can eat, I can drink, and I'd be merry. I just need a little bit more. And this is, this is where Americans are funny because you, you really want to see people get in fights over money that have nothing to do with God. You know, they'll be, well, you, you don't have any security, but you're living the good life. And there's plenty of us doing that today, living on credit cards, living the good life, going on vacations, eating, drinking, be merry, having every experience in the book. We don't have any security, but we're living the good life. And so we're using our, our, our finances towards that. And then there's, then there's the savers, right, on this side, of, of, and they're the ones who are trying to build for themselves security. So we have, I mean, whether we're coming or going, Jesus has us, doesn't he, on some level? You don't have to nod. I know it's first service. Anybody want coffee? Whether we're coming or going. <clears throat> is it okay that I make fun of you sometimes because this is the early service? It's not you. It's, it's just tough sometimes to worship at 930, you know? <clears throat> When I, was in, when I was, before I was a pastor, I went to the 1115 service at my church. That just tells you how awake I would have been at 930. But yeah, he gets us coming or going here. Whatever we're using that God of gain for, Jesus gets us. You know, even in the Old Testament, we always think about things in, in such spiritual terms, but God's people would often start serving Baal or Asherah. And we often think that that's just because they were giving into peer pressure in Canaan. It's not true. Baal was the storm god. He, he controlled the rains. Asherah was the goddess of fertility. And in an agrarian society, you need your flocks and your herds to be fertile in order to establish wealth. So any time the Israelites felt like God was late, any time the Israelites felt like God really wasn't taking care of them, they began to move towards Baal and Asherah because maybe they'll take care of me. Maybe they'll help me acquire wealth. It's a financial proposition. It's not just spiritual. It's not just peer pressure. Baal and Asherah represented gain. And so this, this mindset in humanity is something that Jesus is trying to break, of, break us of, and, and they're, they're mutually beneficial. Remember, chapter 12, Jesus is saying to his disciples, and I, I, really, I challenge you to read this today. I, I think you'll see this bear out. I'd love you to read this before you watch the Super Bowl tonight. The, the, and if you don't watch the Super Bowl, then you can read it during the, read it during the Super Bowl. So it, it, this fight of your life is going to be, are you really willing to share Jesus with people who need him? Are you really going to be eternally minded that people need to know Christ because heaven and hell are actual realities? Are you really going to fight to make sure people know Jesus? And planted right in the middle of chapter 12 where Jesus is saying, this is the fight of your life, he gives us the other fight of your life. If you, can, if you can see me as your security and provision, and you can build your faith in me in this arena, your faith in this arena will grow. They work together. And that's why this interruption by this man's not such a bad interruption. Because these two great fights of the Christian life, will I actually tell people about Jesus, and will I actually trust God for my tomorrows? They work together. If he proves trustworthy in one, he'll prove trustworthy in the other. And they mutually inform one another. So chapter 12 is a powerful, powerful chapter. It is cringeworthy. Jesus is going to say a lot of things that the American Jesus wouldn't say. But we don't serve the American Jesus. We, we serve the Jesus Jesus, the one who, who, who spoke some hard things. And I think it would challenge you today if you read the entire thing in context, though we don't have time to do this today. So let's get to our second point today. I mentioned three mandates of a steward, and they're all coming directly from the text. And it's this. Stewards... Stewards are rich toward God. That's ultimately what Jesus says. He, he, this is the brackets, right? Don't be covetous. Fight against it. Fight against the need for more. And down here, be rich towards God. That's the bracket of this teaching. You say, Pastor Matt, you said there's three points. I'll, I'll get to a third one. But stewards are rich toward God. That's the only standard. That's the standard of giving in the New Testament right there. People say, what's the standard? Rich towards God. That's what Jesus said. Well, Pastor Matt, uh, I'm not wealthy. I don't have a lot. 
I wouldn't view myself as somebody who could be rich towards anything. That doesn't matter. Are you rich towards God? Because that's the standard. It doesn't matter how you perceive yourself. It just matters what the standard of Christ is. And that's the problem. We convince ourselves that we don't have enough or have anything, and therefore we cannot be rich towards God. I, I, I put my own income into one of those wealth calculators this week. You ever done that? There's all types of these wealth calculators online that tell you what percentile you're in in terms of wealth throughout the world. So I, I put mine in a, in a pretty aggressive one. It took into account you know, cost of living. It took into account how many, the gaggle of children that I have. It took into account, you know, all of these different factors. And um, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. I'm going to tell you guys a secret. You probably don't know this. But aside from a lot of those TV preachers, uh, pastoring is not construed as one of the, you know, wealthiest uh, professions out there, okay? So it would be easy for me to go, well, I went into pastoring and, you know, go into pastoring to get rich. So I put all my stuff in there, right? Because I'm just as susceptible to any of this as anybody else. I'm not wealthy. I don't have, I don't have a lot of resources. And, and, and I put my, 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 my information in there and found out that I'm in the top 17% of earners on planet Earth. That's pretty good. I mean, that's really, really good. That means that 83% of the world's population have less than I do, right? Now, I don't know what you make. I don't care what you make. I don't know what your, what your in, intake is or your increase is. I don't, I don't know. But I have a feeling most of us here are doing a lot better than most of the world. So if we keep telling ourselves we don't have anything, there's no way that we can be rich towards God. We have this entire cash box sitting in front of us saying, God, I, you didn't give me any resources. God, I don't have anything here. Yes, there's a lot of cash in there, but I have a lot of overhead. We don't get creative. We don't get thoughtful. We just excuse ourselves. This man excused himself. And the problem that can happen for you and for me is that when it comes to giving, we can become practical atheists. We can go to church. We can sing a few songs. But when it comes to the way that we steward our resources, we're saying God isn't real. And I don't want that for any of you. God is real. God's real. And if you allow him to, 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 to speak to you on how to invest his resources that he's poured into your life, you're going to find out just how real he is. You're going to see him faithful over and over and over again. But, but the mindset has to be, I want to be rich towards God. I want to be rich towards God. I want to be rich towards God. And what I'm afraid of, in addition, is that the American church has somehow raised selfish tithers. Meaning that we say to ourselves, well, I gave my 10% and I checked that box and I'm good. And I, I think the tithe is a, is a beautiful, beautiful concept from the Old Testament that bears dividends and fruit. I think it's good to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, this is yours, and I won't take it back under any circumstances. In fact, I would argue that it's one of the greatest gifts my parents ever gave me was to tell me when I was making $2,500 a year at Steak and Shake, say, Lord, this is holy unto you. It belongs to you, and I won't take it back. It served me when I started as the as the low person here at the church, and it's, I, it's carried with me all the way through. And I'm not trying to say that, that, that I, don't, I don't think that giving 10% is, is the check of the box. I think we're supposed to be rich towards God. So I would, I would start there, not end there. The problem is I think that there are so many Christians today, and this is a wonderful place at which I can tell you I don't know what any of you give, and I will never know what any of you give. We have a board of trustees that counts those offerings and puts them into computers and does things with them to make sure that, that I get a check. It's beautiful. But, <laughs> but what I'm afraid of, and I'm talking to those of you who, like me, were raised on the concept of the tithe, that it, it's, it's really easy to be faithful when you're giving God your stake and shake money. It's a, it's a little bit harder to be faithful when you've got a young family, and that's a sacrifice, 
But that's a good place because then you're learning that God's your provider. So that's a, actually a really good place. I know that today because of how I lived years ago, and I, I thank my parents for that. What I'm afraid for all of us is it's a lot different when you're making 25 grand a year than when you're making 100 grand a year. And a lot of us are still at the exact same percentage we were when we were just getting started. And I don't think that's being rich towards God. Because we're, we're not, not, not to say that you have to feel it in order for it to be legitimate. I'm just saying, I, I don't think that that's the standard. The standard is rich towards God. And that's why I'm saying I think the American church can raise selfish tithers. Because we can get to that point and we can say, well, I learned that God was my provider now, back then, and I thank him for that. And now I'm going to invest in my security and I'm going to eat and drink and be merry because those were really hard times and now I'm not in hard times anymore. And that's not the standard. The standard is rich towards God. So I, I'm not going to pound my gavel on how much any of you should be giving. That, that's not my place. My place is to say, what does the Lord Jesus tell us? He says, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. That's the standard. Third and final point, and it has to do with the overall context of chapter 12, stewards invest in eternity. Jesus says to do anything less puts you in the category of fool. It's the scripture. Fool. Your soul that you said was at rest is not going to end at rest because you lived as a practical atheist. You lived as if I wasn't real. And tonight your soul is required of you. Jesus says that's very foolish. Don't live that way. Now you might be asking the question, did, did this man ever pray the sinner's prayer? I don't know. Was this man ever baptized? It's beyond the, it's beyond the it doesn't matter. It's beyond, the, it's beyond the scope of the story. What matters is practically God wasn't God. Gain was. And that's a foolish way to live. I don't know what God determines in terms of all of these different things. What I know is, is that Jesus says that's a very foolish way to live. Don't live that way. Because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. God wants us to be rich towards him. And he wants us to invest in eternity. You know, I really struggled this week because there's this natural question that springs out of this message. And you say, what is God? Right? Be rich towards God. So what did Jesus mean? What is God? Folks, if you're hyper-focused on that question, you're missing it. That's what I recognized this week. I thought about, oh my, I got plenty of time. I haven't been preaching for long, but it's really heavy stuff, so it probably feels like an hour and a half. Here we go. I was thinking, you can give to the church, you can give through the church, you can give at the church. And what I mean by that is you can give towards the local church, which I believe is God's plan A for the world. You can give through the church, and I'll describe that in a minute. You can give at the church, meaning it's really cool to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. I was thinking about all the ways we've used our collective funds to give through the church just in the past decade. We've, we've done meals for the homeless, supplies for homeless shelters, food for needy people, gas for needy people, backpacks full of school supplies for families in need, Christmas gifts for the poor and orphaned and those with parents in prison. We've run after-school programs. We've brought furniture to families who were getting out of prison. We've brought furniture to and clothing to families who were immigrants. We've done wells for villages. We've given to orphanages. We've given to those on fixed incomes. We've used our benevolence committee to make sure that no one within our community is in want. Uh, we have uh, paid for water filtration systems for multiple places around the world. Did I mention wells? I don't know if I hit that one. We've, done, we've given to programs that fight human trafficking. We've done audio scripture Bibles, and we've given regularly to missionaries throughout the world. All that stuff is God. But none of us can write a $10 check to all that stuff every month. I mean, you could if that's what God told you to do, right? So I get back to this concept of what is God up to in the world? What matters for eternity? What is God's heart? 
And what does God ask from us? And you have to search the scriptures yourself, folks. If I give you all the answers, we've missed the question. And the question is, are you rich towards God? And are you investing in eternity? If I give you all the answers, you've missed the question. Is it worship? Is it stewardship? Is it something where I'm looking at God saying, God, I want to be in your will and your way with what you give me? Sure, I have a hierarchy that I think is important. Wouldn't you assume that? That I should give to this, the first and most, and then I should give to this, and then I should give to this, and then I should give to this. And I'm thrilled of what some of you who are going through God money right now have said to me about what God's speaking to you. Like some folks who have been very heavy on giving in the church, but maybe God's speaking to you over here. I need to, I need to do more for the poor. Or another family was saying, I, I, I'm really heavy in my giving over here, but I, I, I haven't given anything to, to, to uh, human trafficking, and I feel like God's, God's pushing me in that direction. I've, I've heard these wonderful stories about God like enlivening our hearts, and, and I do believe that, that we should invest in souls first and foremost, but God also has great compassion and great love for people in need in all types of different needs, and we should be making provision for all those things and world missions, and all the things, and I can give you a million things to give to, but the real question is still simple. Are you investing in eternity? And are you rich towards God? And that's it. To my shame, not the first part, hear me, this is going to be multiple sentences. To my shame, I earned a cost of living raise this year. But folks, increase isn't bad. Bible never says that. It never says, the man's land produced plentifully. Shame on him. Right? Here's what I'm getting at. When I got that cost of living raise, my first thought was, how much of this do I want to invest in my 403B this year? Now, I know some of you are financially minded. You'd be like, Pastor Matt, all of it. (laughs) Secure for yourself a wonderful future. Enjoy Europe someday. That'd be great. I'd love to. I'd love to enjoy this world that the Lord has provided for us. But my first question should have been, God, what do you want me to do with that? That's stewarding. Right? That's stewarding. To my shame, I thought, 403B. And that might be where God says, yes, make provision for that. But the question is, did I ask first? Right? Did I ask first? Now, if you have a problem with pastors getting raises, our board chair is here and multiple other members of our trustee board is here. And you can speak with them. But to my shame... I thought about me first and God weeks later. I want to be a good steward. And I want to be eternity-minded. And I want to say, God, I'm merely holding this cash box for you. Because you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. That is the standard. I don't always come up to it. I would imagine some of us here would say, me too, but we want to because Jesus is worthy and eternity is real. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that the, um, the curtain that can sometimes exist between us and what you're trying to say to us would be removed today. Lord, that curtain can consist of preconceived notions. That curtain can consist of um, hang-ups and hurts. But Lord, more than anything else, I pray that that curtain can be removed for each one of us today and we can ask ourselves those simple questions in our short time of prayer Not have I checked the box when it comes to giving. Not have I checked the box when it comes to stewardship. But am I truly submitted to the Lord? Am I truly living as if he's real and eternity is real? 
I don't want to make the mistake that man made. And when I leave this earth, say I was generous towards a lot of things, but I wasn't rich towards God. So I just invite you for just a few moments as we make this place a house of prayer to talk to the Lord about that yourself and ask yourself those questions if your heart is open. Lord, am I rich toward you? Am I investing in eternity? And if not, what would you like me to do? Simple prayer. And if the Lord's touching your heart today, would you pray it? You, almighty God, there is none like you. We worship you and we honor you and glorify your name, you who has given us life and you who has given us new life. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would become a better steward of your resources. Lord, I pray that we would leave this life in integrity knowing that we submitted every aspect of our being to you, even the ones that were the fights of our life, to see you as our provider and to share your gospel with those who need it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do each one of those better. Help us to do each one of those in ever-widening circles. For, Lord, this life is but a vapor, but eternity in light of Christ is forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you are able, will you stand with us today? We sometimes joke that uh, we don't have big crowds at the annual business meeting unless we have a big project in store. Uh, and you may or may not know that we are reciting and re-landscaping the entire church this year. And so if you have any interest in how this church does business and all the things that we have going on here, all God's blessing and provision, member or not, we'd love you to come out to the annual meeting on the 26th, and we hope you'll also mark in your calendars that March 8th date and spend some time worshiping the Lord with us on Pursuit Night. God bless you.